0: Text today is from the prophecy of Zechariah. That's a an old testament book. As a matter of fact, it's the next to the last book in the Old Testament. Be easy to find. I'd like for you to turn to the fourth chapter of the prophecy of Zechariah. And I want to read verses one through six. You might say to your friends this week, we will have air conditioning. Announce it from the highest peaks of Durant. We will be cool next Sunday. The fourth chapter of the book of Zechariah begins with these words. Then the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who is awakened from his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with its bowl on the top of it, And it's seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it. Also, two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side. Then I answered and said to the angel who was speaking with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The patriotic remnant of Israel had returned to Jerusalem from Babylonian exile, and they carried with them a decree from from King Cyrus authorizing the rebuilding of the temple, the loved, beloved house of God. And so with great excitement and enthusiasm, the work on that project began. But it wasn't long until they faced stiff opposition. Adversaries, by guile and cunning and deceit, had secured a counter-decree from King Artaxerxes, demanding that the project, the work on the rebuilding of the temple, cease. And so these enemies came, made haste to Jerusalem, and with power and force caused the work of the rebuilding of the temple to stop. And they were so discouraged and despondent were these Jews who had begun with such enthusiasm, despondent and discouraged because of this unexpected turn of events. And rather than looking to God who had been so generous and gracious to them, and in the initiation of the project, they became so discouraged that they threw in the towel, they quit. Now it would be easy to throw stones at these Jews for their lack of confidence and courage and trust in God. Were we unfamiliar with the treachery of our own heart, for under far less testing circumstances, we have probably done worse. These Jews faced crippling handicaps, They encountered the opposition of neighboring races. It wasn't long until they found that they didn't have enough resources to finish their work. But the most crippling handicap of all was the terrible incompetence of their leadership. Zerubbabel, the governor who was of the royal line, proved to be a broken reed. And in the time of moment of truth, he just didn't have it. Joshua, the high priest, who was probably the holiest man of all, is seen in this book standing before God with filthy filthy garments, thus disqualifying himself as a leader of the people. And because they met stiff opposition, and they had the worst kind of leadership, and they lacked resources, they gave up. Uh, What stiff and terrible opposition they had. And most of us have done far worse under far better circumstances. It was at this critical juncture in this event in the life of these Jews that a message of hope came to Zechariah in the form of a vision. And God said to him, By the hands of Zerubbabel the foundation of the temple was begun. By these same hands it will be completed. But it will not be by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Victory was assured as long as they followed the divine strategy. Success was not going to be dependent upon Zerubbabel or Joshua the high priest, nor was it dependent upon human effort or human ability, but by the power of the Spirit of God working in the lives of men and women. And I tell you, that's a good message for today. It's a dynamic word for this time. It's a relevant message for this hour that the success of spiritual matters is not dependent upon human ability, but upon the spirit and the might of God. And the proposition of this text is just this simple, that success and victory in the church are in human life is dependent upon the Spirit of God. Now, this text suggests two or three things. It suggests an impossible demand. It hints of the weakness of human strength. It suggests that spiritual matters are not dependent upon man's strength or it's not accomplished by man's ability or with man's resources, but by the Spirit of God. And I have a firm conviction, a growing conviction, that the most impossible task in this world to do is to do God's work in human strength. Not long ago I was out visiting and I, came to this, I went to this house and there was this little boy playing out the side of the house in his sandbox. He had himself a real excavation going. He had him a little toy dump truck, and he was over in the corner of his sandbox, and he'd take a handful of sand, and he'd put it in the dump truck, and then he'd move it around to the other side of the dump truck, uh, the other side of the sandbox, and unload it. He'd come back for another load, and he had him a real uh, project, construction gang, was working in the sandbox. A little bit later, I went on down the street and passed a real excavation place, site, There was this huge earth-moving equipment there with a front-end loader, and it was loading hundreds and thousands of pounds of dirt in this gigantic dump truck. And every time he'd let that dirt fall out of that loader into that dump truck that was reinforced with steel, had these gigantic dual truck tires on the back of it, every time he'd drop a load in it, it'd just bounce, you know, but it wouldn't break, wouldn't give. You take that boy's, little boy's toy dump truck around to that excavation site and park it there in front of that front-end loader and let him unload that two or three yards of dirt on that dump truck that, out of that boy's sandbox and it just annihilate it. For the resource is not equal to the responsibility and the supply is not equal to the demand. Let me tell you, doing God's work is too big a load for man's strength. No wonder there are so many people who are personally acquainted with spiritual burnout. No wonder there are so many of God's people who are laboring under unbelievable odds and with tremendous burdens trying to do God's work in man's strength. No wonder we're personally acquainted with failure. You just can't do it. Stuart Briscoe said, when I became a Christian, I thought, man, this is easy. Wasn't long until I thought, man, this is difficult. and now I know, man, this is impossible. You can't do God's work in human strength. A lady came to me one day and she said, You know what I've discovered? I discovered I can't teach my Sunday school class. I said, that's probably the greatest discovery you've ever made. She thought I was trying to get rid of her. I can't get out of her Sunday school class. She was kind of taken back. I said, no, what I mean is that the greatest discovery that we make as a Christian is the discovery that we can't do God's work in our strength and with our ability and by our resources. And the day you discover that doing God's work requires God's strength and God's spirit and God's power is the greatest day of your life. Have you reckoned with the impossibility of God's demand upon your life? You just turn the Bible and you'll find it. The Scripture says that we're to love God with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. We're to love Him with the total self. But how do you do that when there are two selves inside of us? The higher self and the lower self. The better self and the little self. The self that reaches for the stars and the self that clings to the mud. The self that would obey the selfless laws of the Spirit and the self that wants personal attention. How do you do that? And you just turn the page of the Scripture and it says that we're to forgive 70 times 7. But how do you forgive a man who, is, who has stepped on your feelings? How do you do that? How do you turn the other cheek? And you turn the page and the Scripture says that we're to bless those who curse us and to love those who are unlovely. But how do you bless somebody who has treated your ego as though it were nothing? And you turn the page of the Scripture and it says that we're to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, but how do you express the inexpressible? And how do you put in words what cannot be put in words? Martin Luther was right when he said, when we talk about Christ, we at best are currying, gooing infants using half words and quarter words, said Martin Luther, don't judge Christ by man's ability to describe Him. I tell you, it's an impossible demand which leads us to the indispensable dynamic. It's not by might nor by power, he said, but by my spirit. That's a cunning, decisive blow to the human ego. It says to us that God's work is not accomplished by man's mobilized movements, but by the stirring strength of the spirit of the living God. You say, I can't love God with a total self. Yes, but that's all right, Jesus can. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to release Jesus in your life who indwells you. You say, I cannot forgive 70 times 7, neither can I, but Jesus can. That's all right, He can. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to release Jesus in your life to do that. You say, I can't bear witness. I can't teach a Sunday school class. That's all right. Jesus can. He knows something about God. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to release Jesus in your life to accomplish what He has come to do on earth, and that's to reveal the Father to man. One of the most notable features, I think, of the Christian life is the absence of the Holy Spirit. May I say that again? I believe that one of the most notable features of the Christian life and the Christian church is the absence, the apparent absence of the Holy Spirit. And one of the most notable features of the Christian life and the Christian church is the more than apparent absence or ignorance of the, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not only are we not acquainted with the Holy Spirit, personally acquainted with Him, but we are ignorant of His ministry in the life of the individual Christian and in the life of the church. And so while we go on trying to do the work of God without Him and His ministry, Jesus taught His disciples of the impossibility of that. Now, I know that you've probably noticed as you've read the Scriptures that that Jesus did not have a whole lot to say about the Holy Spirit in His teachings until the end of His ministry. You ever notice that? And I've noticed that John's Gospel, which deals, half of John's Gospel deals with the last week in the life of Jesus. Deals primarily with the Holy Spirit in the last part of that cha- from, from chapter 13 on. For every prayer and every message and every word that Jesus said in the last week of His life was leading up to the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you just looked sometime at John 13 and began reading at verse 1. And everything that follows that in John's Gospel is just a reaffirmation of Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. For Jesus knew that we could not do the work of the ministry He left with us to do unless we depended upon the might and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. But not only are we not depending on His Spirit, but we are ignorant of His ministry. Have you ever seen um, you've seen the Miss Baird's bread commercial? Have you not? My brother-in-law works for Miss Baird' bread, Miss Baird's bread company, and delivers bread down to Graham, Texas. It, it, that, that commercial began a few years ago, and it showed this little boy walking down the street with a with a with a little wagon and had a loaf of bread on it, and he's delivering Mrs. Baird's bread to the neighborhood. And then the commercial is a true story. A commercial tells that, that everybody, you know, they'd, just, they'd smell Mrs. Baird's bread cooking, and everybody wanted some of it, and she just got to deliver it to the neighborhood and got selling it, you know. And everybody loved Mrs. Baird's bread. Ms. Baird now is deceased. Her sons uh, manage and operate Mrs. Baird's bread company. It's located at headquarters in Abilene, Texas. You never know what you're going to learn when you come to First Baddest. And these guys get on. He says, "I'm I'm Vernon Baird." He said, "I was just a little boy, and I delivered my mother's bread down the neighborhood." And he said, "This is the same bread that was delivered by the by, by, to the neighborhood that was baked by my mother in my mother's oven." Well, it didn't. It's got the same label on it. It's got the wrapper on it, Mrs. Baird's bread, but it's not Mrs. Baird's bread. It's Vernon Baird's bread, and. Who knows how many hundreds of other people that never even knew Mrs. Baird, you know, making that bread down there in Abilene, Texas. I'm going to tell you what, I've been in a lot of churches that got all these labels on them, you know, New Testament church, but they're not. And there are a lot of things that we do in the church that's good stuff, but it's not God. There's a lot of singing we do. It's great singing, but it's not God. It's got a label on it, but it's not God. And there's a lot of teaching that we do that's got a label on it. This is New Testament teaching, but it's not. And there's a lot of preaching that we do that we call, this is, this is biblical preaching, this is spirit-filled preaching. It's got that label, that wrapper on it, but it's not that. It's what man does in man's strength. It's Gerald Tidwell's preaching and it's Bob Smith's teaching, etc., etc., It's got the label, but it's not of God. And if it's not of God, it's of no value whatsoever. Amen? It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Now, I want to read you a verse of Scripture because I think some of us are wondering, you know, how do we get get this ministry of the Holy Spirit? I want to show you something. I think it'll help. By the way... I heard somewhere the other day, Carl Bates said, if, we, if the Holy Spirit suddenly withdrew Himself from most of our churches, 90% of the stuff we're doing would go on. We never would even miss Him. That's a tragedy. If the Holy Spirit suddenly withdrew from the Sunday school departments and the preaching service and the singing service of First Baptist Church in Durant, Oklahoma, how much would we miss Him? Listen to this verse of Scripture. Some people have asked, you know, how do you get the ministry? How is it that it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit? I want to give you a clue. Look here, it says, For I know the plans that I have for you. This is God speaking. He said, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Listen to this. And you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from the nations and from all the places where I have driven you. I'm going to prosper you, he said. He said, I'm going to, declares the Lord, I will bring you back back from the place from where I've sent you into exile. You're going to find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now there are two clues there. One is when when you search for him in desperation... How do we get the ministry of the Holy Spirit to become an active part of our life in church? It's when we search for Him, seek Him desperately. I believe this with all my heart, that that God is nauseated with a lot of this lukewarm stuff we call church work. We're not desperate for God. How desperate are you for God? You know, it it seems in the New Testament that Jesus just kind of put a special blessing on the folks that were desperate for Him. And so here was this woman with an issue of blood. She'd been to doctors for 12 years, and she had had no help. And Jesus came by, and she heard His voice, and she thought to herself, this is my last chance. This is the last opportunity for me. And she fought her way through the crowd, and she reached out to touch Him, and immediately... She was healed. That blood issue was dried up. And and has has it ever made you wonder why that Jesus felt her touch when he, He was touched by hundreds of other people at the same time and didn't even recognize their touch? How did that touch touch Him? It was because it was desperate. She was desperate for Him. The Gentile woman came up to him one day, and she said, "My daughter is sick. Would you come and heal her?" And he said, "Why, I can't. Bread can't. The bread of God can't be given to the dogs." You what he's talking about? He was talking about the fact that he was, he was here to minister first to the Jews, and she was a Gentile dog. He couldn't give bread to the, to the Gentiles until the Jews had an opportunity to be saved, and she came back to him in desperation. Why, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And she was desperate. Let me tell you what. When a pastor and a staff... Whether that staff is volunteer or paid, when a church becomes so desperate for God that they'll leave nothing unturned to find Him, the Spirit of God will fall upon us. Not until. How desperate are you for God? How desperate you are for God determines how determined you are to find Him. And that's the second clue, determination. For when we're desperate for something, we're determined to get it. We're like the Apostle Paul. He said, I count everything but loss in order that I might know Him. I'm determined to know Him. Nothing will keep me from God. When a man is desperate for God, he's determined to find Him, regardless of what it costs to find Him. Now, we... We want, we're not that big a hurry to get out by 12, are we, today, really? i got something really on my heart. If I let you out at 1201, would you turn in your Bible to the 46th Psalm? I want to show you something there. This is so much on my heart. I came back this week from a journey of sorrow myself. I tell you what, it breaks your heart to see your family, your wife, hurt. And in the time that I've, I've come back, I've asked God, you know, what, 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 is the, what is the answer to all of this? You know, we, we minister to people and we say, you know, that God has comfort and God has strength, etc. Does He really? I mean, where is, where is that strength and where is that comfort for ourselves? It's easy to say that somebody else. And if, and if God is not sufficient, and God doesn't bring strength, and God doesn't bring comfort to you in your time of need, it's not His fault. Something wrong between, between you and Him, between me and Him. Where is, the, where is the secret? Where is the answer to this controlling of the Holy Spirit in life who, who meets every need and who is the resource for every need? Now, watch Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth should change. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Has that ever happened to you? You, you got any mountains that were you know, just there for you and it is dissolved? Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride... There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised His voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord. Who has wrought desolations in the earth? He made, his war, made makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, if I'm desperate to know the Lord, And to know the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm determined to know that power in my life and in the life of my church. Here's the clue to finding it. Number one, you got to be still. Now, here's the picture. Mountains are dissolving. Nations are in an uproar. Heathens are raging, water is boiling, and foundations are dissolving. And he says, be still. You know what the world says? Get busy. When you see things falling apart, do something, man. Get with it. When you see heathen rage, do something about the heathen. When you see just foundations dissolving, do something about the foundations. What he says is, be still, and know that I'm God. In other words, be still and know that I God am causing these things to happen. Be still and know that I am I, God, is am the one who is causing the mountains to be moved and the heathen to rage. Be still and know that I am in control. Now you say, I want to know God then you better get still because you're never going to know God till you get still. You're never going to know God until you sit down and get still. I read an interesting thing in my quiet time the other day. I'd never seen it before. Jesus fed the 5,000, the multitudes. The scripture says that he told his disciples get them all to sit down because Jesus wasn't going to feed them till they were sitting down. We like to eat on the run, don't we? How many times, how, how, how many times this week did you eat in a car and get, got, you, got you food in a fast food restaurant from a drive-in window and was impatient if it wasn't ready time you got around from the little voice box to the window? I mean, hey! Where's my food? <laughs> you know, God, I'm in a hurry. We eat on the run. We like fast food restaurants. We like to eat on the move. Jesus said, sit them down because I'm not going to feed you. I'm not going to nourish you standing up. I'm not going to feed you on the run. If you ever know God, you're going to have to get still. I know some folks that know personally every name of every soapbox, soap opera character, soapbox, every, every soap opera character. I know a lady who prays for them. Now, that's getting involved. I mean, they know every soap opera character. There's some, there's some folks, I'm not going to call any names because I might have to call my own. It no, it's every athlete, every football player on every team. You know why? Because they sit down and they get still when they come on. You just come in there and interrupt them. You, you just come in there and want something when the soap opera comes on. Get still here and get quiet, you know. I mean, these... Uh, Sally's running off with her brother-in-law and we got to watch and see what happens you're never going to know God until you get still and get quiet you got to be still secondly you got to be quiet be silent listen to what Psalm 62 says it says my soul wait in silence for God only Psalm 62 5 says my soul waits in silence for God only Psalm 37 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. That word rest means to get quiet. Isaiah 30, 15 says, in quietness and trust is your strength. You know what the Hebrew word for be silent mean is? You know, you know what that word in the Hebrew means? It means get quiet. It means be silent. It means that if, that if you're ever going to know God, you're going to have to let God speak to you. That's why he says in verse 14 of the passage that I read, this Jeremiah passage, he said, I will be found by you. Notice how he puts that. I will be found by you because you'll never know God until He chooses to reveal Himself to you. It's when He gets ready, He'll reveal Himself to you. And he's, when He gets ready to reveal Himself to you, you better be quiet and be ready for Him to do it. If you're ever going to know God, you're going to have to get quiet. third, be submissive Jeremiah says you'll find me when you seek God said to Jeremiah you'll find me when you seek for me with all your heart you know what that phrase means that's an Old Testament phrase that means when you're absolutely submissive to my will because I'm here to tell you this morning from personal experience God reveals himself to no one who is not submissive to his will The way to find out, find that revelation from God, the way to know what God wants to say to you is to be obedient to what He's already said to you. The way to know future revelation from the Lord is to to come and be obedient to the present point of revelation. You just start doing what God wants you to do and you already know that He wants you to do. And that will keep you busy for a while. The way to know the Lord to be submissive now let's tie it all together because it's time to quit it's an impossible demand does, is this work of God for our life it requires an indispensable dynamic it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord and when it becomes that kind of thing then there is an inexhaustible an inexhaustible supply now, I don't know if you've noticed when I read this text or not. He said, here was this vision. Here was this candle, this, this candelabra, candlestick. And there were seven prongs of the candlestick with seven bowls on top. And they were all attached to an olive tree. And seven is the perfect number to the Jews. And the candelabra represents the light of the Jewish nation to the world. And, and the seven perfect number attached to the olive tree suggests that when we trust our life to the inexhaustible supply of God's Spirit, we'll never run out of energy. We'll never run out of power. We'll never run out of light. He just keeps on pouring His life into us. Paul said... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's, it's a word that means I can do all things because with seven pronged candelabra attached to an inexhaustible supply, He just keeps on pouring His life into me. May you, will you hear me? We start doing God's work in, in, in God's strength, and the light of this church will never go out. We start doing. God's work in God's strength and the resources of this church will never diminish. The money will never run out. There will always be a cruise of oil. We start doing, we continue to do, we do as we're doing. If we're doing it, do God's work in God's strength. And the energy and the power and the resources will always be there. A few years ago, I was going to make a little plane trip from West Texas to preach a funeral in, in Monday, Texas, the big city of Monday, USA. And I got this guy to fly me down there after my service because I had to leave on Sunday morning and get back for Sunday night. And so he came. I asked him if he'd ever flown to Monday. He said, I've never flown, period. I said, how long will it take us to get there? He said, I don't know, I've never made it. That really gave me a lot of encouragement. I'm just kidding you was just about that bad. And when he brought his girlfriend to ride with us, and he was married, he brought this girlfriend. I knew that things weren't too exciting, too, too bright. The prospects were not too good. Because I could just imagine God bringing judgment upon that man's infidelity while I was flying along with him. And so we took off from Tulia, Texas and headed to Monday. It was a ride. And we got in one of these uh, thunderstorms wind storms and we were just bucking along like riding one of these uh, 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 you know artificial bulls they have in these places it was just about like it I mean we were up and down and I was I was just you know kind of had to put my full weight down on the seat completely and, and I leaned up there and I, and I asked him you know I said hey Bob his name is Bob you and I said hey, Bob you think we're we'll going to make it he said we're going to make it don't worry about it preacher sit down sit back and relax everything's everything's fine and I wasn't sure of that. You know, and I'd ask him that two or three times and and, and and I looked up I looked at the wrong gauge, I guess, but I thought I saw a hand, a needle over there on the E, now in my car. That means we're out of gas. You know. And and I said, Hey, we you know, we got plenty of fuel. He said, Hey this is what he said. He said, Sit down, preacher. You just sit down and get your sermon and just leave this flying to me. And so I sat down and prepared my funeral sermon. Not the one for myself, but the one I was going to preach. And, I, and God just came in there and He just kind of whispered in my ear. He said, Gerald, that's what I've been trying to tell you for the greater, greater part of your ministry. If you'll just sit back and wait on me and relax and trust in me and depend upon my spirit and my power, I'll get more done in a day than you'll get done in a lifetime of human effort. And I got back to my church. I preached this sermon. It's the last time I've preached it. And a revival began in the First Baptist Church of Tulia. I don't know how to explain it. I preached the same sermons I've preached all of my life. I'd come in there on Sunday morning. I'd look out. It was a huge auditorium, much bigger than this. It would be packed out, people in the balcony, everywhere. And every time I'd give an invitation, people were coming to God and I saw a guy in Plainview, Texas one day walking down the street. I was walking down the street, Plainview, I met this guy. I knew he was a preacher, but I didn't really know who he was. He stopped me and he said, I'd like for you to sit down with me over a cup of coffee and tell me how you did it. And I said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I did what he's talking about. How to did what? He said, I'd like to tell you how you've turned that revival on over there, how you turned that church around. I said, I don't really know. I know I didn't do anything except I just believed that it was not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God.